Good morning, One Church. How you guys doing? That was awesome. Let's give it up one more time for the band. Oh my gosh. If that didn't get you moving, you're dead. Just telling you, Jesus, man, I, I just, I, I'm going for it in the back. Y'all were going for it out here. That is so cool. Thank y'all so much for hanging out with us here at One Church. I'm so glad if you're in the room and if you're watching live online on our online campus, thank you so much. Thanks for interacting with Matt today on the chat. Um, we are in week four of our series entitled Accomplished. And I'll tell you, where we've been going in this series is we have been looking at this idea of the future you the future you, that all of us, hopefully, there's going to be a future us. And what would the future you tell you to do now? What would the future you, six months from now, if you could sit down with him, sit down with her, what would the future you tell you to do now? And the big idea of this series is simply this. Whatever the future you would tell you to do, then start doing it, right? Because all of us, uh, we have some things that we want to work on. We have some things that we want to make progress on. We want, we want some things that we want to be accomplished, and all of us, have, we, I think we'd want to have that conversation. And what's so cool is the first couple of weeks, we gave you guys a postcard that you could actually fill out and write a note to the future you, and we're going to mail that to you in six months so that you can be able to have a conversation with you. Now, before we get started, I just want to show you a quick video clip of two pastors that I highly ad- admire and respect. Because they are asking and answering this question, what would the future you tell you to do? Um, Let me tell you, introduce the pastors real quick. Andy Stanley is the pastor of North Point Community Church, located in Alpharetta, Georgia. He is an amazing communicator, even a better leader. And uh, a lot of the things that they do at North Point, we've uh, exported that strategy here at OneChurch.tv. And uh, uh, he is going to be talking with another fantastic pastor named Craig Rochelle from LifeChurch.tv in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. They have 22 campuses all over the United States, and um, they are going to be bantering about what would, if you could go back and tell the person you were 15, 20 years ago, what would you say? Let's watch that clip. So let me ask you, uh, John McGuire asked this question. What would you go back and say to a young pastor if you had the chance? I know, that was a good question. I was hoping you wouldn't ask that one. No, that's a, but, and actually, I think it was, if, if you had, if you could go back in time and give you advice. That's a good And way if to I say had, it. isn't that what he, uh, Not exactly, but no. you can do it that way if you want. If I could, <laughs> if I could write a letter to me, remember that, yeah. remember that country western song? Isn't that a great, uh, do you listen to country western music in South Florida? Actually, you, I think that's how he asked it. Yeah, if you yeah. go back and say to young Pastor Craig and Andy, that's yeah. how, you're right. Yeah. You read it better. I didn't want to shame you in yeah, front of the whole were, group. You yeah. just did. <laughs> Time number four. I, I think so. the, the most important leadership lesson I learned, and I learned it, I wish somebody had told me this when I was younger, is work toward only doing what only you can do. That you, we all, in the beginning, we have to do everything. If you're a church planner, you have to do everything. You gotta set up chairs, you gotta do student ministry, you gotta do it all. But the sooner you can identify your sweet spot in ministry or in life, the things that, I mean, you're not gonna be the best in the world at it, but it's the best that you can do. It's the thing that you do best. That to identify that and to work as fast as you can in narrowing you, the scope of your biz, busyness and your time to where you really are spending more and more and more and more on time on fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer things. And the faster you do that, the more impact that you make. And I spent too much time 
you know, being, you know, an inch thin and, you know, a mile wide. And when it finally dawned on me, Andy, you're only good at a couple things. So just quit doing all that other stuff and somebody else will come along and do it. So the quicker you can have a schedule that allows you to be in your sweet spot, that's, that's what I would tell that's myself. Great advice. It, I mean, it really is. That's the big win for everybody. For, for me, if I went, had to go back and talk to me at 28 when I started the church, I would tell myself a bunch. I'd say that God cares about this church more than you do, so relax some. I would tell myself, someone else told me this, this isn't original, but, but I would tell myself what someone else said, that ministry is a marathon, not a sprint. And yeah. that, to me, that's really, really good um, advice. I would tell myself that to, um, to have more faith in God, that it's not all about my effort, that he really, he really is faithful. And then this is kind of crazy, but I would have started journaling earlier because I missed, or you know, documenting in some way, there are so many stories I just don't remember. Mm. And I wish I had those. I would, I'd write everything down along the way. I've done that in recent years and it's really important to me because all the way down to you know, my kids and you know, what God has done, I, I wanted, I'd want to better be able to go back and see his faithfulness. Guys, that is some really good advice. Uh, and I, I so respect those men. You know, what Craig said, that God cares more about this church than you do. To have more faith. We're really going to be landing hard on what Andy said is finding your sweet spot, finding that area in your life where you, uh, you should do really the one thing that, that you're good at, the one thing that you're called to do. It's operating out of your area of passion. And where we're landing on this hard, the tension here is this, is because all of us, it's the new year, I get it, we're three, four weeks into the new year, and we've made resolutions, we've made those commitments, and many times our resolutions and our commitments go something like this. You know what? I am going to be a more balanced person in 2015. I am going to live a more balanced lifestyle. I am going to uh, get home quicker and sooner, and I'm going to spend more time with the family than I do with the job. And we strive to become more balanced, and especially we have this tension of between like, like work-life balance, and we want to do a little less here and a little more of that. And it seems like on, we're on this, this endless quest for balance. But here's the thing. For the next 35, 40 minutes, I want you to rethink that. Because I don't believe balance is really a goal that we should be shooting for. I want to ask two questions. First, is balance even attainable? I mean, everybody wants balance, but so few people are balanced. You ever met people like that, right? And is the whole idea of a work-life balance, is is that a myth? And and the second question I want to ask is this. If you achieved balance, would it even be something you would really want? I mean, uh, is it really worth pursuing, or is it this mirage that the closer you get to it, the farther away it gets? Uh, would, you, would it be worth pursuing in the first place? And I can understand this pull for balance, because some of you, you know, you feel like you're working too much, and it's not really your choice. It's like a person overuse choice, and you're working too much, and too hard, going too fast, and, and you're kind of in this endless rat race. But Ken Blanchard, I love his quote, he says this, He says, even if you win at the rat race, you're still a rat, right? I mean, you're still a rat. And in today's culture, we talk a lot about achieving balance, and the balanced life sounds so great because there's something that attracts us to a life of balance. 
But I am going to just put it out there today. The only balance that I think that's out there is a knob on the radio. Because I don't think it's even attainable. And I don't think if we even achieved it, I don't think we would accomplish much. I think we would get there. And it would just leave us wanting more. I mean, here's another thing. The Bible, you know, I'm a preacher, so i got to get to the Bible sometimes. The Bible, let me tell you how much it says about balance. You ready? There it is. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. You see, the balanced life isn't found in the Bible, and living a balanced life isn't biblical. I don't think it's attainable. And even if we actually had balance, I think all of us would hate it. Because think about it. Everybody remember their um, sixth grade social studies book. Anybody remember history growing up as a kid? All right. All right. The people who found their pages in that sixth grade social studies book, the reason why they got in the book wasn't because they pursued balance. Think about it. In fact, the people that you know in Hollywood, the reason why you know them is not because, you know what, they pursued balance. The, the sports people that you admire and that you look up to, the reason why you look up to is not because they're balanced. In fact, many of them are out of balance. And my call for us today is don't, let's not make balance the focus. We need to make something else because if you look at balanced people, they rarely accomplish anything significant. Balanced people don't accomplish anything significant. And here's the reason why. Because most people, when they think of balance and they talk about balance, they use it as a retreat from activity, okay? Well, I need to become more balanced in my work, so I'm going to do less on my work. I need to become more balanced at school, so I'm going to do less my school. I'm going to, you know, work relationally on some things. I'm going to become more balanced, and I'm going to withdraw from this, and it's a little less, and it's a little less. But let me show you. This guy up here, tell, tell me who, who, who this is. This is not even an opinion. This is fact that this man is the best basketball player ever lived. And let me tell you about MJ. He started playing basketball when he was seven years old. And he tried out for the high school basketball team and didn't make the cut. So he decided, I want to play basketball. And he practiced for six hours a day to improve his skills. And he got on the basketball team and he never stopped practicing. And that's the reason you know Michael Jordan. It isn't because he's balanced. It isn't because he's just naturally gifted. No, it's something more than that. In fact, listen to Michael Jordan in his own words. Listen to what he says. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I led you to believe it was easy when it wasn't. Maybe I made you think my highlights started at the free throw line and not in the gym. Maybe I made you think that every shot I took was a game winner. That my game was built on flash and not fire. Maybe it's my fault that you didn't see that failure gave me strength, that my pain was my motivation. Maybe I led you to believe that basketball was a God-given gift and not something I worked for every single day of my life. Maybe I destroyed the game. Or maybe you're just making excuses. 
like that. You remember what we said on week uh, two of accomplished? You can make excuses or you can make what? Progress, but you can't make both. You see, the reason why Michael Jordan has accomplished so much, the reason why Michael has made 32,292 points in his career playing basketball is not because he pursued balance. Michael Jordan pursued something else. Oh, what about this person not up here? Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, back in 97, actually had the record score to win the Masters. He was the youngest person to ever win the Masters, and he was the first African-American to win the Masters. All right? Now, the reason why you know Tiger Woods is because he did not choose a life of balance. In fact, he started playing golf when he was two. Watch this clip. So right now, I'd like you to meet Tiger Woods and his father, Earl Woods. Isn't that cool? Tiger is a better golf player at two than I am at 43. I'm just letting you know. All right. A tiger, he practices seven to eight hours a day. You see, Tiger Woods didn't win the Masters because he pursued balance. Why? Because balance, people who pursue balance rarely do anything significant. A Malcolm Gladwell, who is a popular author, wrote the book Outliers, and he says this that in order to do something well, you must put in at least 10,000 10, hours of practice. That isn't balance, people. That's something else. Because very few people who really accomplish anything significant, historically, culturally, spiritually, they don't, they don't make balance a pursuit in life. They make something else a pursuit in life. What about this man right here? This is the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Tomorrow, we celebrate his life. We know Dr. King not because he pursued balance. He was a man of God. He was a pastor at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama in 1945 when the Montgomery bus boycott erupted with Rosa Parks. And he allowed himself to be used by God. And, and, and he had a lot of people, a lot of political figures that he met with some being John F. Kennedy and Lyndon B. Johnson. And many times the political figures he would meet with would tell Dr. King this. You know what, Dr. King, you just need to slow down a little bit. We're moving too fast. Let's slowly desegregate. Let's slowly get rid of Jim Crow. Let's slowly get rid of racism. Let me tell you how Dr. King would respond. In fact, this is in his own words. This is from letters from a Birmingham jail that he wrote while he was in jail in 1963, I believe. And he's in Birmingham in jail, and he's writing this letter to a bunch of pastors in Alabama, and he's getting on to them because they're not in jail with him. Because one of the biggest proponents of racism was the church, and pastors were doing nothing. Listen to what Dr. King had to say, the quote will be up on the screen. For years now, I've heard the word wait. 
It rings in the ear of every Negro with a piercing familiarity. This weight has almost always meant never. We must come to see that justice too long delayed is justice denied. We have waited for more than 340 years for our God-given and constitutional rights. I guess it's easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. Dr. King didn't pursue balance. Let me tell you what he, let me tell you what he did pursue. And it was passion. You cannot listen to any of his sermons or any of his speeches without being moved. Because he was a passionate man. You see, people who accomplish anything in life, they don't pursue balance. They pursue their passion. If you have a phone, will you take out your phone right now? All right. And go ahead and turn it on. All right. So you'll turn it on and go like this and wave it to me. Like, put your hands in the air. Maybe I'm like, you just don't care. Okay, let me tell you. Most of us are doing that. Uh, I, I'm noticing that you kind of have smartphones, most of you, all right? And let me tell you, the contraption that you have in your hand today came about not because somebody pursued balance, but because somebody was passionate. Let me tell you. You see, for, if you're 15 and younger, here's what you're thinking. Smartphones have always been around. They have not, right? It is a reaching invention. In fact, how many of y'all remember any, had any of these phones up here? Lord Jesus, it's a fire, right? That I remember, right? I remember in being in college, and I didn't have a cell phone, right? I knew a couple of people that had that one on the far left, on the brick phone, anybody remember? You could talk on the phone and pump iron, right? It's like, oh, one, two, but arms are so big, right? Uh, anyway, I'm just telling you. And I went through all, and I, by the way, I typed my senior term paper in high school on a typewriter, okay? Some of you going, oh gosh, you're so old. Well, I'm just telling you, all right? And you know what? I went through college, I went through and got my master's degree still with no cell phone. In fact, I was in my mid-30s when I had my first cell phone. I remember, it was a Nokia, it was a flip, right? But in 2007, one man... And whether or not you like Apple or whether or not you like Steve Jobs, one man had a passion to change the phone industry forever. And Steve Jobs got up in 2007, and he gets up, and he's going through the whole spiel. You know, he's going through the, all this iMac, all this stuff. He says, oh, and wait, there's one more thing. And he holds up the first smartphone, the first iPhone. And whether or not you have an, an Apple product or a Samsung or a Galaxy or a Droid or whatever, the reason why you have that is because one man, one company wanted to think differently. And he had passion. I, I have read some of the, back, uh, the background on him creating the, the iPhone back in 2007. And they had this crazy, maniacal passion to always redo stuff. In fact, um, one of the engineers uh, was quoted in saying this, that just the on and off switch had over 50 different revisions because they wanted to do it right. In fact, when, if you were approached by a company, somebody in Apple, and no one knew that the iPhone was coming out, it was hush-hush. They would only approach a current Apple employees and they would say this, listen, we're not going to tell you what you're going to work on, 
but we're going to tell you it's going to change the world. So I'm asking you, do you want to be a part of this? And by the way, you're going to work long hours. You're going to work weekends. You're probably not going to see your family much. But we're going to make a difference. We're making history. And some people said yes. Some people said no. And like it or love it, hate Apple or not, they changed phones forever. And that happened not because they pursued balance. It happened because they pursued passion. Right Now, John Wesley, in fact, if some of you, if you grew up in the church and maybe you grew up in the Methodist denomination, John Wesley actually founded the Methodist church. And listen to how he put it. I love this quote. Light yourself on fire and people will come from miles around to watch you burn. Isn't that good? I like that. And the reason why I like that is because passion is so rare. It is. So few people have passion. So few people actually pursue, pursue relationships with passion. So, people, so few people actually pursue work with passion. So few people actually pursue the relationship with their spouse with passion or the relationship with their God with passion. So few people approach life with passion. They just retreat. You know what? I, just, I need to have balance. I need to stop doing this and take off less here and less here. And I don't want to go too hard. But you know what? If you do that, And if you really pursue balance, number one, I don't think you'll ever get it. Number two, if you ever got it, you would hate it because you would be boring, mediocre. Those are four-letter words for us, aren't they? You see, let let me show you another picture. See if you recognize this guy. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't call us to live a balanced life. He didn't. In fact, listen to the words radical, zealous, disciple, sold out. Those are unbalanced words. For all of my searching, I can't find anything in the Bible where God calls us to live a a balanced life. In fact, the people in the Bible, they can be described with a lot of things. Balance uh -uh, is not one of them, right? But passion, oh, that's something else. You live a life of passion, and let me tell you what you can do. You can shut the mouth of lions. You live the life of passion, you can take a small stone and put it in a slingshot, and you can bring down giants. If you live a life of passion, you can walk through a sea without getting wet. That's passion. If you look at the story of the Bible and the story of God, it is a story of passion. I mean, you describe God, that's passion. He has a passion, get this, and maybe this is a new thing for you. He has a passion for you. He not only wants a relationship with you, he wants a relationship that's characterized by passion. I love that. And here's the thing, all of us are passionate about something, aren't we? Some of you, you're, some of you are gearing up for March Madness. Right? And there's nothing wrong with March Madness, right? Nothing wrong with that. Some of you are excited about the Super Bowl, right? And you are really passionate about the Super Bowl. Some of you, you're you're passionate about um, your hobby. Some of you are passionate about a lot of different things. Some of you are passionate about watching all the seasons of Friends on Netflix. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. You know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Now, hear me. I'm not throwing stones at you. That's good. But here's the thing. So many of us, we pour out our passion into a phone, into sports, into basketball, into golf. But what if you poured out your passion into things that really matter and that will last forever? Open your Bibles to, to the book of Hebrews, 
starting at chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, we give them away here free at One Church. Uh, and um, if you have your phone, I would encourage you this. If you would go on your app store and download Version, it's the Bible app. And in fact, I'm going to just kind of show you on, on mine. I'm going to open up the Bible app, and it's going to show up. And then on that top left corner, if you will click on Live Events, and it will actually show up as one church, while work-life balance is a myth. And you can click on there, and you can follow along. There's questions you can interact. But there's the Bible for you. You can turn on your Bibles right now. Ready? This is what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says. And listen to how the author describes and goes back to passion. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Now, First thing, anytime you want to do some Bible study, anytime you see a therefore, you always want to ask, what is it therefore? The therefore goes back to the the previous chapter, chapter 11. And it's this, he describes this huge cloud, this huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And it's the who's who of everybody in the Bible. It talks about Adam. It talks about, um, it talks about uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It talks about Joseph. Um, it talks about Moses. It talks about uh, um, Samson and, and David and, and Daniel. And it talks about all of these people, people who weren't balanced. Seriously, read the Bible. Some of these people, as you start reading the life, you're going, I think you need counseling. And they probably did. Right? But listen, what happens is he goes through all of these stories and then he, he summarizes it in verse 33. Hebrews eleven thirty three says this. By faith, these people did what? Okay, this is all skate morning. These people overthrew, say it together, kingdoms. Now some of you, you're just excited when you're able to overthrow the remote and get the remote from your spouse, right? Because you're like, <laughs> a TLC is off. Right? right? Just saying. It is. Right? I mean, but these people actually did it. They overthrew kingdoms. They changed culture. They brought a different kind of government. They brought change. Back to Dr. Mar- Dr. King, Martin Luther King. Did you know that he did not live? He didn't get to see any of his 40th birthday. He was killed, murdered, assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee at the Lorraine Motel in 68, and he was 39 years old. He was passionate. He changed culture. Things changed. And we're going to see something similar in our next teaching series that's starting February 1st. We're going to be going through the book of Esther as a church. And let me tell you, Esther, Esther was this little teenage girl that God used to literally change an entire culture and save an entire people group. It's going to be so cool. Back to verse 33 of Hebrews 11. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouth of lions. Who is he talking about? Daniel. Very good. Quenched the flames of fire. Escaped death by the edge of the sword. Think about this, guys. Ladies, we live vicariously, don't we? We live vicariously. We go and watch movies about people who live heroic lives. Some of you, you play PlayStation or Xbox games based upon people who live heroic lives, right? But these are people who actually lived heroic lives, and you can too. If you don't pursue balance, no, 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 but pursue passion. Because I believe that if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God can use you and literally reroute and change a culture. I know that most of you, when you think of church, this is what you think of church. 
What do you say? Right? You think church is boring. And I get that. I get that. But let me tell you, I think church and the stories that are told in church should be the most exciting place on the planet. I believe that it's in the church that we should hear stories of remarkable turnarounds. I believe it's in the church that we should hold stories where everybody said their marriage is over. They're filing papers. It's done, and something happens, and people change. I believe it's in church that we should hear about people breaking addictions and actually getting living a life of passion. I don't think it should be snooze. I don't think it should be the frozen chosen. I think we should be lighting ourselves on fire so that the rest of the world can be illuminated. Man, I love that. Then he says in verse 34, their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. This isn't about leveling up on Call of Duty. Right? These people actually, actually turned around advancing armies. One person. I mean, this, this, isn't, this isn't the notebook people. This is 300, right? This is Braveheart. That you can take my lives, right? But you'll never take what? Come on, baby. That, that's what this is, this exciting life. A life not of balance but of passion. And if you, let me tell you, this, I'll, let's keep on going. I just, verse 35. Women received back their loved ones from the dead. But others, look at this, were what? Tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and, and their backs were cut open with whips. And I just want to stop right here. The whip. Let's really talk about this word passion because most of us, we kind of misuse that word, right? Uh, we, we say this, you know what? We go to a pizza place. Man, that was good. And, and we, we describe that as passion. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. That's not how passion should be used. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. No, that's not passion. The root word for passion carries with the same idea of suffering or sacrifice. Any of y'all ever watched the movie The Passion of the Christ? Right? Um, or you've heard about Passion Week leading up to Easter? It's not that Jesus was like passionate, like, oh, I can't wait to go to the cross. That's not how it was. What passion is describing is sacrifice, suffering, and that Jesus suffered and sacrificed by dying on the cross for you and me. And see, here's the point. If you really love something, you'll be willing to sacrifice for it, won't you? I mean, if you're a single parent, you're willing to sacrifice for your kids and work two jobs. If you're in a marriage that's struggling right now, you're willing to go through some pain to get to the better part, to get to the other side. If you want to make a, a contribution in your school, then let me tell you what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to give some stuff up. If you're wanting to make a difference in your workplace, then that means you're probably going to have to get there, not just on time, but maybe a little early and stay a little late. If you want to be the guy who scores in the game, then you're going to have to play hurt. Because every good athlete plays hurt. Back to Michael Jordan. On game five in the 1997 NBA Finals, Michael Jordan scored 38 points against the Utah Jazz, and Michael Jordan had a 103-degree fever. Right? You, I got a 103-degree fever. Somebody else better preach a service. Right? Not, not, not Mike. Mike's out there making jump shots, and he can barely stand up. 
And, and, and I went back this past week, I even posted on my Facebook page, and just watched some of the clips of that game. Oh, my gosh. He had passion. The, the headlines, that, by the way, they beat the Utah Jazz. <laughs> and, the, and this is so cool, the, the, the paper read the next morning, Jordan battles flu makes jazz sick. <laughs> I like that. That's good, right? My point, to live passionately means you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to play hard. That means church, one church.tv, if we are going to make a difference, if we're going to make a dent in that statistic of 88% of people in this area don't go to church anywhere, then we're going to have to suffer and we're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to get crazy passionate and very unbalanced. Christians in the first century knew that and they were willing to suffer. And they said the sacrifice is worth it. And what far, what's far better than living a balanced life is living a life of passion. Verse 36. Some were jeered at and the backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Others were sawn in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went along wearing skins of sheep and goats. Destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. So the writer of Hebrews, having just talked about these passionate, very faith-filled people in Hebrews 11, and Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us, what, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with what? Endurance, the race God has set before us. Live this life unencumbered. Get rid of the things that don't really matter. And focus on the things that do really matter. The thing that you want to look back on and say, at the end of your life, I did that. I made a difference here. All of us want that. But in order for you to get to that end result, you're going to have to sacrifice and stop focusing on things that some of us just don't really matter. Maybe not bad things. An encumbrance, you know, that, it's, that weight that slows us down, that may not be a bad thing. It may be a good thing, but any good thing pushed too far is what? Bad, right? Man, that. It's so interesting. And you know what? Here's the thing. You may never be famous. We may never have anybody in here as famous as Alan Jackson or Britney Spears or Katy Perry. We may not ever have anybody in here as famous as Steve Jobs or Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods. But how many of y'all, you would give your life to say, I, I want to be famous in my family. I want to be famous in my family, that the people who know me the most love me the best. I want to be famous. I want to be, I want to be the person that my boys look up to. And it's not somebody else, but it's me. I want to be the man that my wife looks up to. I want to be the woman that my husband is just gravitated to. I want to be famous in my family. That is a good goal. And I think all of us have that potential if we stop pursuing balance and pursue passion with things that really do matter. So let's strip it off. That's what the, the writer says. Let's strip off all the weight that slows us down. Some of y'all are starting to go streaking. Please keep your clothes on, right? 
But Ab, let me ask you a question. What is slowing you down? What is slowing you down? What is that? What is slowing you down? Maybe a good thing. And then he goes on and he talks about the sin that so trips us up. What's that sin that's tripping you, tripping you up, that's tying you in the knots, that's keeping you from moving forward at all? And then he says this, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. You heard Craig Groeschel earlier. You heard, you heard Groesch say this. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And you and I need to run with endurance. That's why passion is such a great word because that's how we should live. There's going to be some suffering. My wife, just a few weeks ago, ran her first marathon. And uh, I, I have nothing in common with my wife. I don't know if you know this. Uh, she loves running. I don't. But, I, you know, I've seen her train for this for over a year. And uh, she ended up running, I think it was in f- four hours and 34 minutes, I believe it was. And, um, and, I mean, she trained for it. She had stuff, you know, she had the water bottle. She had the, the things, the Fig Newtons. She could eat all the way. You know what I'm talking about, Tom. I mean, I mean, and she just, it was, but it was painful. But, man, oh, when you get to that finish line. And you can go back and you can look back. That you ran, not a sprint, but a marathon. And if you're going to live a life of endurance, then that means you're going to have to willing to endure some pain in order to make a long-term progress. It means that you're the person who swallows hard, and you're going to forgive, even though there's no logical reason that you should ever forgive. That you are the person who says, you know what, I'm going to believe. I'm going to choose to believe, even though I have a lot of doubts. That if you're going to live the life of endurance, that means you're going to have to work hard while everybody else is partying. It means that you're going to have to carry a disproportionate load at work because you actually care and that you're passionate. While everybody else is punching in 15 minutes late and leaving five minutes early. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you're a Christ follower, church follower in here, don't do that. Or if you choose to do it, don't advertise that you're a Christian. Because that's not living a life of passion. That's getting by. Some of us, that means when we're on our job, we're not on Facebook. I was reading a couple of weeks ago that the average eight-hour workday, people only accomplish, actually work for three hours. And five hours are wasted doing this, right? So be present in that. We're going to talk about it at the very end. But something, sometimes that means if, if you're going to run with endurance, that means that you don't give up on relationships, that you don't give up on your marriage. That you don't give up on your spouse, that you go and you get counseling. And even though it's hard and it's easier to find the next model and whatever, then you stay and fight and you tell her you're worth fighting for. You live a life of passion. Because here's what I know. If you lived, if you kept on living the life of passion that you did when you were dating, you would have a lot more kids and you probably wouldn't need any more counseling, right? Let's just be honest. But what happens, especially to us guys, we pursue passionately, and then we, you know, get the ring on it, and then we stop pursuing. We stop dating. We stop caring. That isn't a passionate man. That isn't a passionate woman. You keep on pursuing. Let me talk about this guy before I close. Anybody know who this is? Walt and Elias Disney, let me tell you. When you think of Walt Disney, you think, how many of y'all ever been to Disney World or Disneyland? Any of those? Okay, most of us, right? 
And gosh, you think of such a success story with Walt. Let me tell you, when he was in his 20s, early on in life, he was so broke he couldn't afford to pay attention. He lived in a little crackerjack box of a house, had almost no food, and it was literally ridden by mice. In fact, there was this one mice he tried to kill and tried to kill and couldn't kill it. So he named it Mortimer Mouse. And he started drawing cartoons of Mortimer. And everybody who read Mortimer Mouse hated him. It was awful. Everybody said, you are not a good artist. You don't tell good stories. Stop. In fact, his wife begged him to get another job so that they could actually start getting food on the table. But you know what? Let me tell you about what Walt did. Walt started, stopped listening to his critics, and he said, you know what? I'm going to change Mortimer's name to another name. Everybody want to guess who that is? M-I-C. Come on. All right? K-U-I, right? And let me tell you, Walt started to get some traction. He stopped listening to his critics. And you know what? He had this dream of, I want to make a full feature cartoon that somebody pays money to go to a movie to watch a cartoon. And everybody said, you're an idiot. Right? Because people would come and and pay five cents to watch a movie, but the cartoons were at the very beginning of the movie, two, four minutes, and then you got to the movie. Right? And he says, no, no, I want the cartoon to be the movie. And everybody said, it's not going to work. But when Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, when it premiered in Hollywood, and then they, everybody watched the movie, and it closed down, and the credits started coming, everybody gave him a standing ovation. Why? Because Walt didn't pursue balance. Walt pursued passion. So Paul says, run with endurance. If you're going to do something that matters, if you're going to do something that's significant, and what's more significant than pursuing a relationship with God? I mean, think about it. We've talked about phones today. We've talked about golf, basketball, Walt Disney, a thousand things. And nothing wrong with that. But what what God is telling you and I today, what if we put that same type of passion, not just poured in the things that don't last, but what if we took that same type of passion and what if we invested in the things that last forever? People. A relationship with God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what the next verse says. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because when you and I take our eyes off Jesus, let me tell you what happens. We focus on things that really don't matter. Because of the joy awaiting him, he, what's that next word? Endured. That's what we're talking about. Endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up on what really matters in this life. And here's what I think I think a person of passion accomplishes so much more than a person who strives after balance because passion accomplishes more than balance. So as we close, I just want you to imagine with me. Imagine, what if you just started living your life with passion? Imagine that. What if we said, you know what, I'm taking balance off the table. And and hear me, guys, ladies, I'm not suggesting you work 90-hour work weeks. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that when you're at work, be at work and be passionate. Be present. But you can say, Chris, I don't have a job like yours. I I mean, you're just... Your job is so great, and if I had people that I actually liked, I'd I'd like being there. What if you just found an aspect of your job that you could really get behind? 
And you know what? I could have talked from, talk from another passage from the New Testament. But Paul writes this very quickly. It says this. And he's talking about in that time there were, there were slavery. Uh, in Jesus' time, the Romans would uh, actually have slaves. And this is what Paul writes about this. Talking to slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything that you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. You see, some of you, your biggest problem at work is you only work when the boss is watching. Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil, right? Only reason, you're you moving. Right? You're moving in, right? She's gone. Girl, I don't know. And, and, and there you go. See? No, no, no. You actually work even when they're not watching. Keep on going. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do. Now listen to this next part. This is good. As though you were working for who? The Lord and not for people. Paul says, well, look, I know it's hard. And, and he's talking to a group who's in slavery. It's very hard. And Paul says this, I don't want you to work for your boss. I want you to work for Jesus. And if you do that, your attitude will change. So what if you decided, you've been married 5, 10, 15 years, what if you decided, I am going to date and pursue my wife like I did before we were married? I mean, that you approached your marriage today with that type of passion that you did when you wanted to date her or date him. Oh, wouldn't that make a difference in your marriage today? Let's be honest. If you listen to more Barry White late at night, bum, bum, what right? Whatever. Right? But you pursued her, and you pursued him. You would be counseling me, and your life, your marriage would be off the chain. It would be off the charts. What if you quit trying to pursue balance and started to pursue God with passion like we've been talking about? I mean, radical, zealous, following disciples, those unbalanced words, what if we became more like that? What if we started giving God the very best time of our day and we opened up God's word and we read for 10 minutes? No distractions. You're not on your phone. You're not checking your email. You're not checking Facebook status. So here's my challenge as we close, as we apply this. Because it's easy to say, hey, live life with passion and you go, yeah! And you walk out and do nothing. So here's how we're going to apply this today. Because... The answer isn't working 90-hour work, work weeks. I know some of you, you're there right now. I got some really good friends in the Army right now who have been putting 90 hours of work week literally for the past 10 months. And after a while, there's only so far you can just keep on bending. So I'm not saying always do that, and it's not their choice. What I am telling you to do this is when you are at work, be at work. When you are at home, be at home. When you're in the bed with your wife or your husband, be with them. Let me explain that. That means when you're at work, you're not doing personal stuff. You're not Instagramming, tweeting, Facebooking, Candy Crush, whatever. Right? But you are actually working. Let me tell you, if you do that, let me tell you what will happen. They will give you a raise. Because you're going to make them more money and they're going to see you as a linchpin and they're going to give you a raise. And then even if you hate the job, you may try to walk away. They're going to throw money at you. 
what, 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 what can we do you? And it's not because you're working until into the evening time. It's because you're working eight-hour days and not three-hour days. Let me tell you this. If you're at home, be at home. Put down your phone. Quit, quit hashtagging what you're doing with your kids, but you're really not doing anything except being distracted. Get in the floor, burn some calories with your, by, by, with your boys or girls by wrestling with them. That's what matters. When you're in bed with your wife or your husband, you get your eyes off of a screen and put your eyes into her eyes. You hear me? I'm preaching on myself on this, right? And you become passionate about him or about her. Wherever you're at, in whatever situation, whatever circumstance, be there fully without distractions. And it doesn't mean you can't like sports. Totally do that. It doesn't mean you, you, know, you don't like entertainment. You can do some entertainment. But here's what I know. Nothing wrong with any of that, but if we really got laser passionately focused about things that really matter, this city would change. This, these states would change. And they would change because this community has changed, because families in this community have changed, because husbands and wives in this community have changed. Because they live life not pursuing balance, but pursuing passion. Let's pray. Dear God, I'm grateful and humble, God, that we can be able to come and just kind of look at some of the who's who of the Bible this morning in Hebrews 11 and 12, God. And Lord, I know so many of us with, with uh, New Year's resolutions and we're trying to get more balanced at, at work and more balanced at home. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would not allow us to focus on balance. Don't allow us to retreat and do less. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to live a life of passion, to reprioritize some things in our lives. And wherever we're at, whether it be at home or at work or at play or, or even at rest, Lord, that we would be there. That we would do it passionately. Whether you work, eat, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In your name that we pray. Amen.